0: You might want to wait till you hear what I'm going to say before you do that. But um, here, I'll step back here so I'm uh, not turning my back on you. Um, coin collecting is such a wonderful thing. That's why we're all here, of course. But coin collecting is probably the only hobby that anyone can do and go broke and still have money. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, one of, everybody loves that aspect of the hobby, sure, but there's so much more to it. Uh, you talk to whomever uh, at a show or at a meeting like this, and as many coins there, as there are, there are stories and reasons that we collect them. So when Dave reached out to me to do this, he wanted to find out what I wanted to talk about or what I could share with you all, and... And I said, well, I write about world coins. Let's talk about the world coin market. And in particular, I framed it as the modern world coin market. But the market can really be described as two segments. And when I'm talking about modern world coins, do I mean the new issues that the Canadian mint, the French mint, all these world mints and banks and private issuers are doing? Or am I talking about the market at auctions and in trades around the globe. And I want to talk about a few things that actually affect both arenas uh, of, of, of that kind of bifurcated or split market. Um, one of the things that's really been interesting to observe, I've been at CoinWorld now since the summer of '03 as an intern and officially 2004 – And the number of new coin issues coming out every year seems to just continue to grow. But in reality, uh, there's a book called The Long Tail, I want to say, by Christopher Anderson. And the the theory behind The Long Tail is that the Internet and technology allows for hyper marketing, uh, niche marketing, being able to attract a small audience and serve that audience and you have enough business serving up all these niche markets to sustain yourself. You don't need to rely on uh, a mega product. So for instance, before I was born, maybe a few of you were born, uh, in 1965, the Canadian Mint, sales of their annual proof-like set were just bonkers. Uh, You might wait a year six months to a year for the set to arrive. The year before, they had had rather robust sales, and people were capitalizing on a a profit-taking endeavor with that. And with that in mind, there was similar demand, strong demand in 1965. That was almost their only product in 1965, one annual set. And back in those days, even the U.S. Mint kind of operated this way, right? You'd, you'd order your proof set, maybe not in 1965 exactly, because of the whole hiatus, but you know, you'd order your annual set and it might be three or six or eight months before you got it. And that's just how it was. And that was what they sold. Since then, and it certainly was the case in the 70s and 80s, but it's really accelerated in the last 20 years. Uh, the Royal Canadian Mint, for instance, might do 10 coin releases a year and each release has 10 coins except at the height of the I don't want to say stupidity but at the height of the mania they were doing 300 plus coins a year they've they've pulled back a little bit from that but there's still very much a you know a robust issuance every month of new coins from Canada or the Perth Mint in Australia. Uh, To a much lesser degree, the Royal Australian Mint, uh, but the French Mint, they might do a theme and there's four to six coins in that theme. The idea with all of this abundance of options is that they know the, the days of the collector collecting one of everything are no more. Nobody could do that now. Warren Buffett couldn't afford to do that with pick a country's coins much less you know the average collector so they're trying to offer something for everyone certainly there's uh, discussion to be had about the viability of some of these embellished or enhanced products things with Swarovski crystals or uh, holograms on them or you know colorized that kind of thing and and you can all have that good honest discussion about that but they've been very successful at niche marketing, small mintage. Um, it's, and it's not just, say, the Canadians. You have private companies that are doing things like the Germania Mint, which is, Germania's is in the name, you think, oh, German, but they're actually based out of Poland. And they have taken a bullion series of metals... And it's been very popular, especially with collectors in the U.S. But they've also expanded upon that by adding color to other world bullion coins. And they only make 100 or 99 or 200, whatever the case may be. And people are excited to get that because it's, oh, there's only 100 of these out there. And it's for a silver American eagle that has some sort of embellishment on it. It's reasonably affordable, unlike, say, the V-75 World War II anniversary of a few years ago. And so that's really a major shift in thinking for world mints over the last 20 years. And it's, it's really, I don't see that going away. Uh, I sat down in multiple meetings at the a show near, near Chicago uh, in the last month, and so many of the folks we met with at, from the, the people who issue coins were looking at technology to make something new and different. Uh, the ability, say, from CIT, which is Coin Invest Trust, to do smart minting. Um, striking a giant coin with a high relief, but it's you know you think the the larger the coin the large you know it has to be heavier it has to be struck of more metal to allow that relief to to project off the field. They've they've figured out a way to do it. They're working with a private mint in Germany called Meyers Mint B H Meyers Mint, and Meyers has been one of those companies along with CIT that have been at the vanguard over the last 20 30 years. I've already talked about the Royal Canadian Mint being, uh, being very involved. Uh, at dinner I got to talk about how they've the Royal Canadian Mint was the first world mint to offer colorized circulating coins and Color in collector coins has been around since the early 90s. I want to say Palau and Cuba and there are a few others that were kind of came out around the same time. But the first colorful circulating coin was in 2006 when Canada issued a breast cancer quarter has a pink ribbon on it. Since then they've done two or three dozen coins with cir- uh, color in circulation. Uh, national park series with uh, orca and a bison uh, they've done Olympic coins back when they had the Vancouver games in 2010 uh, they're, they're still doing it they did a war of 1812 series um, with I think eight different designs and there were colorful and, and plain versions since then the Royal Australian Mint started doing that as well and their two dollar coin program with color has been very successful so much so that the first issue in that which was a purple coin i want to say 2012 or 14 don't hold me to that but it's it's a very expensive coin and it's a modern coin it's it's like a 150 200 dollars us for one coin that has a face value of about a dollar 25 us so uh, that speaks to another thing that's really been important is the technology. One of the things driving that is the widespread adoption of uh, computer-aided drafting, CAD, CAD programming, uh, d- software that allows for quick design of coins. You know, I don't know how many of you here went to the Osborne Mint in the various tours that Dave's done. So you saw one bench where they they hand work on the dyes and, and all that stuff, right? I'm sure maybe you remember that. I just saw that today, and I'd been there about five years ago, but, you know, I don't remember. I mean, that was five years ago, so. But most mints in the world, that's a very small part of their process. There's so much reliance now on the the technology to be able to crank out coin designs they don't have to be done the old way, very you know, precise and uh, you know, skilled engraving, you know, engraving is such a talent, you talk to somebody like a Thomas Hipschen or a Chris Madden at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, they're almost dinosaurs now because technology doesn't you know, it, we don't need to do it that way uh, obviously, collectors, certainly on the stamp side, they love those engraved stamps versus the lithograph type stuff, the, the colorful, whatever, press method. And and I think there is something a little bit lost with uh, the modern coins that aren't done that way. But it's look at the output of any world mint and very, very few, if any, are being done the old way. Italy, I think, is one of the ones that's a holdover in that. And you can certainly look at their coins and, and they are beautiful, usually. Even if the theme may not resonate with you, you can look at their coins and say, that's beautiful. They have a like a seminar, if you will, a school that where they teach engraving and tutor the engravers for months, if not a couple years to keep them in the old ways and the traditional methods and they are an anomaly unfortunately the u.s mint i can recall when ed moy was the director and he's the one who led to the um, ultra high relief he was at the 2007 mint directors conference in colorado springs and that's where he made his speech about This neo-renaissance of American coin design. It was at that conference that we first learned that the U.S. Mint had started shifting in the previous few years from the very precise hand methods to doing a lot more with computers. That was 15 years ago. It's, you know, again, it's very, very uncommon for mints to use that. The old way, when there's the new technology that allows them uh, to do it, and, and it comes down to speed. When you're doing 300 coins a year or more, you need to be able to move those designs through the process. When you're waiting for approval from a government and they want you to make a change, you want to be able to get back to them with a sample showing the change, so you can, you know, keep the process moving along. Coinage design process. It's going to be very important in the news in the next next six months because of what's happened with Queen Elizabeth now and, and the new king. You know, coinage design process is not something you can just flip a switch and have it done. Even with the new, you know, computer, the CAD type methods, you know, you, you take what was once a couple months into a couple days to a week. And then you have to set the press and do all that. You can... You have an agility and can respond much more quickly now than you ever could. And I've asked the question, for instance, to uh, sources at the Royal Mint. You know, you could see this coming. You knew things were going to need a new design. What kind of work have you done in preparation for that? I even asked them that at the ANA when I saw somebody there. And they, you know, they demurred. They sidestepped it. We'll find out hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, in the old days, I mean, you think about 1936-37 when there was a new design on coins and then you had a king who abdicated. It was because they only had those old ways and it took forever for that process to unfold. In the, U- in the UK, you have the Royal Mint Advisory Committee. In fact, Prince Philip, now deceased, was um, head of that committee for decades. Until maybe ten years ago or so, uh, well, I know two thousand and sixteen Kevin Clancy became director of the, um, the the committee, but in any event you know there's a there 's a process that unfolds, and now we we can move a lot quicker than than we used to uh, so technology is has been a big driver in the change that 's allowed these mints to be more prolific you've also seen mints taking over the marketing and sales direct sales of their coins whereas 20 years ago they had a lot of distributors and 40 years ago i can't look at back issues of coin world without seeing paramount international dayton englewood ohio you mentioned englewood earlier they were out of englewood uh and Franklin Mint similarly did stuff in the 70s especially and and early 80s driving new coin production and collectors would have to go to uh, these distributors. I think Kagan's was even even involved in distributing some stuff. Fred Weinberg was involved in distributing the the Chinese Panda coins because there wasn't the infrastructure to – Sell world coins into the US. Now, if I order something from the Canadian Mint, they fill the order and ship it to me, and I've got it, you know, 10 days later or whatever. Order something from the Perth Mint, same thing. Um, a lot of those mints have cut out those distributors and they're just capitalizing on that because they can make more money that way. But they also then have more names and more data about the buyer, and they can target them with some of these new low-mintage things, so it's, it's really sort of a, a perfect storm of, of technology for all this. Uh, another thing you see a lot that's really driving the modern world new issue market is licensing. How many of you in here have seen a Marvel or whatever movie? Okay, a few of you in there. You've heard of Marvel and Superman and Spider-Man and Pokemon and Harry Potter. In fact, I was supposed to be on a call yesterday with the Royal Mint to talk about their new Harry Potter series. They set set that aside, understandably. Uh, but they're not the first Mint to do Harry Potter coins. Uh, PopJoy Mint has done them. I think a um, few others, perhaps. Um, Canadian Mint may have. But you can find... Harry Potter, um, Star Wars, Star Trek, Back to the Future, Ann Geddes, the the photographer. I mean, name a pop culture or cultural touchstone, an area, and you can probably find a licensed coin for it. And the Simpsons are on an enormous array of coins, most from the Perth Mint, but some are from others. The New Zealand Mint is a private mint based in New Zealand, not the New Zealand Post, which is the official distributor of their commemorative coins in New Zealand. But the New Zealand Mint has been very active in that regard too. So if, uh, if somebody in here has a son, a daughter, a grandchild that you're looking for a gift item for and you know they like – Fill in the blank topic. Paddington is on Royal Mint coins. How many of us remember the stories of Paddington and saw some of the, you know, the movies or or whatever the the TV show? And so licensing again has become such a component, and it's all about reaching more markets and capturing that little niche that they they can. I, I wouldn't say. Uh, a silver one-ounce bullion coin with 25,000 mintage is necessarily niche. But compare that to the silver American Eagle where there's 10 million, 20 million. 2008 or 11, 2011, there were like 30 million a year sold. So 50,000 is nothing compared to that. But uh, when you add up all of these together, there's such an abundance of material to collect to hunt for. And, and I will say, uh, I have a friend in St. Louis who came to the ANA, it was her first ANA, and she wants pretty coins, flowers and other, you know, crystals on them and that sort of thing. And she was kind of underwhelmed because she didn't find what she was looking for. And the reality is most of the new issues that are coming out, pick a coin of the last 20 years from a World Mint or a private distributor. You're not going to find most of them on the force of any show, whether it's the Cincinnati Numismatic Association, whether it's the Missouri Numismatic Society show in July as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, or the ANA or whatever. You, there's, they're, they're not – they don't require – The traditional markets, they're reaching different people, maybe, than uh, they used to. That's not to say there isn't crossover. There certainly is. I know somebody who authored a very important and necessary, I would even say scholarly book uh, in the last two years that also has a collection of meteorite coins. These are coins with meteorites embedded in them. That's as marketing and gimmicky, if you will, as... A canoe-shaped coin from the Canadian Mint or a baseball concave convex coin from the U.S. But so what? You know, I've said on the Coin World podcast that this is sent from day one. This is a big tent hobby. And, you know, I got to hear a couple collectors tonight talk about the various interests that they have. And that might not work for you. You know, you might not want to collect silver assay metals or these tiny, tiny coins from this place in Greece you've never heard of. That's okay. You can collect tokens from Covington, Ohio. You can collect uh, the 1953 Ohio sesquicentennial bronze medal. You can collect whatever you want. And there's a this long tail, again, long tail approach means that there's something for everyone. I bought from the Canadians uh, last year. I think it was coins with dinosaurs on them because I thought my nephew would like them. He's young enough. It's different. He likes dinosaurs, so it. I don't. You know, I don't expect him to be the next Q. David Bowers. He doesn't have to be, but it's something fun. He can have fun with it, and maybe that'll pull him into the broader world. And if it never pulls him in. Okay, I'm okay with that. There's, there's enough out there. You keep trying little bits of things. A different nephew wants all the old world coins. You know, 1800s, that's really old. And 1700s, he's going to go a different path. There's plenty of paths in the hobby for you. So, you know, just figure out which way you're going to go and, and make it your own. And, um, you know, there's, there's room for everybody. That's sort of the modern, new issues arena, this boutique uh, approach, then when you ask the question, well, what is the market for coins today, world coins, what's shaping the market? And it's, it's really, in most cases, it's no different than some of the factors shaping the U.S. market. And uh, we're seeing with a lot of things, grade matters, registry sets are so important uh, in so many arenas. Uh, every several months, it seems, the grading services announce that they've added a category for registry sets. Well, the registry sets drive auction sale and, and private treaty sales and drives interest, and it's, it's a very, I want to say, symbiotic relationship, but it, they, they're, they're walking hand-in-hand, hand, certainly, pushing people down the road, and grading has become, to the detriment or the chagrin of many collectors of ancient coins, uh, that's been a, a very significant change in the last 20 years as well. And today, the last two years, people, a lot of people that haven't approached ancient coins with a scholarship that many longtime collectors do and appreciate, uh, they look at the grade as the be-all and end-all. Uh, they might see an auction house say that this is the only one graded at this level and drive the price up. There are numerous examples out there. The collectors don 't realize that there are examples that exist just as well as this one that 's not that 's graded, but those examples aren 't graded but they 're using that information to form a purchase decision and like it or not, you know, if they're going to turn around and sell that, say, today, and even if you look at some, some sales two years ago, they might not experience uh, the return that they were hoping for. But who among us hasn't made a stupid purchase in our hobby pursuit? I bought a note out of an auction in the Czech Republic. St. Louis advertising note. How the heck it got to Czech Republic, I have no idea. And I looked at comps. I'd seen Heritage had sold one. And, you know, I thought, okay, it's a $125, $150 note. And I got it at the high end of that. And I showed it to a friend, and he's like, yeah, you overpaid. (laughs) And I'm like, but you know what? I didn't know about this thing until I saw it in the auction. I'm going to get that $25 of enjoyment out of it just because I learned something about this business that was in Wild West St. Louis in the 1860s and issued this advertising note. So there's a there's always going to be a learning curve when you bring new people in. One of the things that I think is important, and it was a drum that I was beating for several years to no avail, until Mike Gasvoda took over at CNG. Uh, that's Classical Numismatic Group. They're they're a big auction house. Primarily ancient coins, but they do European and other world coins, and they even have a smattering of U.S. coins from time to time. But I said so much of auction catalogs are being consumed digitally. They're not getting the object you know, in their mail and flipping it open and looking through it. They're looking at it through a screen. I said So auction catalogs were made and have been made for decades, with the idea of we're going to show the coin at actual size. And that's good enough. I said, Carrie, Carrie, you need to put the size in millimeter with this coin, with every coin in here. I said, because somebody who doesn't know ancient coins, who views this catalog online, they're, you know their, their screen might be this phone. Their screen might be an iPad. Their screen might be their desk monitor, and it's a giant monitor. They don't know what size coin they're working with. And, you know, the response was, well, real specialists will know. And, and, you know, there's some very nice people, there's very helpful people in the hobby. But I said, man, you're wrong. Because if you want to get people who are not, you know, that are new to this, that don't have that facility, that understand the language of ancient coins, that's a turnoff. If they see it online and they get it in the mail and they go, oh, that's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. Or conversely, you might sell it better if they realize that this giant tetradram of, you know, Unetos or one of these famed carvers, that's like an Oreo sitting on your desk. That's huge. That's a, that's a big piece of art. I'm going to bid really big because I want that. So the auction market has changed a little bit there haven't been you know i i I give cng the credit because i think that's something that came after mike took over and it's important because so much is done digitally and you know now you know that you can bid in an auction in south korea from your bedroom You, you don't have to go to a show to bid If you want to do lot viewing, if you want to, you know, sure, there's always all those caveats, but it is nowhere near what it was even 10 years ago. And it's only going the other direction. We saw it during the pandemic. Uh, Business still kept going. Business was firing on all cylinders. I mean, the market was hot for everything. Because you needed something to do at home and you could do it at home. I love going to coin shows. That's why I showed up at your show. That's why I showed up. I'll show up at the Indianapolis show on Sunday on the way back to St. Louis. Because you get a chance to talk to people and you never know what you're going to find. But I don't need to go to a show to keep collecting. So that's that technology as it's a double edged sword. It's helped. Flood the market in new issues, but it, it makes it so easy. You said something about, oh, I bought something on eBay for your collection. We've all done it. We didn't have to go to a show. So uh, that's, that's great. That's also allowed for a greater uh, transparency re- re- regarding prices. And it makes it harder to find better deals. I, mean, I know I look at World Coin stuff because that's what I write about and have learned about, and I know that there are certain areas in the catalog. If a dealer's pricing it by catalog, well, catalog's way undervalued on these items, and I conversely, I know that catalog is way overvalued on these. So I'm going to stay away from those. But when anybody can go plug it into eBay and see what it's sold for, or they can go to Numista, or they can go to, you know, just the you mentioned Coinoscope earlier. I showed somebody that, and they were gleeful with joy because they had a pile of stuff they didn't know what they had. And now they're going through it and identifying it. And, you know, rather than throwing that in a junk bin and me going, oh, that's a $10 coin from Algeria or whatever, they can find it and figure that out themselves. So it's certainly – technology has been great. It's allowed for easier access to stuff. We saw that with books on Amazon, though. Books that were previously thought to be rare were discovered to be common. Books that previously were thought to be common were discovered to be rare. It really deflated the market. But as a user, as somebody who buys books for my library, it's been great because I can get a lot of stuff cheap, whereas 30 years ago I couldn't. So uh, technology has been a, a great asset on that regard. In regards to ancient coins, though, a big factor has been cultural property. We talked about this a little bit at dinner, uh, especially over the last 15 years as more and more countries uh, reach agreements with the United States, memorandums of agreement to ban and restrict the importation of certain coin types into the U.S. Certainly some of the types can – some of the memorandums can be said to have been overly broad and include – such wide array of coins as to almost be meaningless when you when you think about i kind of liken this to if somebody said you know what i'm here in ohio and we're not going to let any ohio quarters go outside of the state and conversely you can't bring in a florida state quarter or a delaware state quarter how silly is that the coins are used all over just because it says ohio on it doesn't mean they were only made and issued in ohio that's there's a similar thing at work with some of the ancient coins. There are certainly, with cultural property, things about which to be cautious. You don't want to encourage looting. You know, there, There's uh, infrastructure that is in place in some countries that isn't in others. You can look at the um, Portable Antiquity Scheme in the UK uh, since 1997, I believe, that has allowed for a legal framework to reward finders of coins while also... Encouraging and mandating uh, an archaeological context be uh, saved while uh, enjoying that commercial side of things. Uh, but ever more auction houses are being affected by this. There's some, you know, there's certain coins they're not going to sell because it's not worth the hassle or... Uh, some there's so some coins that are so common as to you can't find a provenance in a 1910 price catalog or whatever you know it it was a a 50 cent coin then and it's a 10 dollar coin now good luck finding a provenance so that certainly has affected the market and i think that's that's a reason that collectors of ancient coins haven't been vocal about. Uh, I'm in a couple Facebook groups for, for ancient coins, and they're always talking about the crazy mark, uh, auction prices, new money coming in, people that don't know what they're doing, that sort of thing. And that's a significant component, but I also think the cultural property has affected it as well. Uh, but the market, when you say the market for world coins, what does that mean? Because right now, I, I heard from a dealer the other day who said, if it's Chinese, it's weak. The mo- Chinese economy has suffered. they have still on lockdowns. They're still, you know, they've, they've had two plus, two and a half years of, of a hit, as we all did. But the market for that is weak. But we're seeing stuff that's high-end, quarter-million-dollar million stuff, five-million-dollar Chinese coins, no problem selling. So, you know somebody says how's the market, it's it's as meaningless as how's the weather when you're talking about the globe because you have to narrow it down. I mean there was a time when the Polish market was on fire, and how did you know that if you didn't participate in – the auction houses in, in Poland, Warsaw, and all that. Well, you could see the mintage numbers of the new issues from the mint of Poland go from 50,000 to 70,000 to 110,000 to 120,000. People were anxious to buy coins. And then the bottom dropped out. And they've not recovered that. But, you know, we've had that here in the U.S. with commemorative coins particularly. The market in 88, 89, 90, right? I mean, there was this, this big uh, rise. I, I'm thinking of commemoratives, but it was also for other stuff. But that was driven by investment houses, right? I mean, there were coin index funds. And some of those coins, if you bought them in 1989, you're still under the water on. So when somebody asked how's the market, you, you got to be a little more specific it really is a case by case basis a lot of it is driven by real global economic issues i fully expect the new york international show auctions in january for any of the russian material is going to be because money has left russia there's you know there's lots of economic pressures on russia with the war going on you're not going to See that, and and the Russian market ten years ago again when 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 well I guess 2008 2009 when uh, gas was similarly priced at five dollars a gallon and all that Russia was breaking it in and there was a lot of money feeding the Russian market and an aspect of that Russian market is Sparebank. You may have heard that bank's name in talking about sanctions. Sparebank sells new issues direct to their clients, which. How great is that as a bank? You know who's got the money and you can target. You know, it's a captive audience, kind of like you. <laughs> You're stuck here. But, uh, but anyway, you know, it really comes down to economic conditions. Another factor is the exchange rate. How many people have heard that in the last two, three weeks, the euro and the U.S. have achieved parity? Right now, if you want to buy out of a European auction, and you're in the US? Great. Cuz it works to our advantage finally again for the first time in years. Even the UK. I'm going to London again in several weeks. And I'll be there at CoinEx and I've got pounds that I bought when the pound was a dollar 40 and it's a dollar 20 now. You know, whoops. But that has real economic impact when it comes to the market, when it comes to numismatics, people buying stuff out of auctions or people deciding to sell stuff into auctions. Um, And it's, you know, is that, does that move the needle globally? No. But our little area of the world, it sure does matter. So I think those are kind of the big, the big framework for what's happening and, and some of the issues at play. I love as much Hearing myself, I love to hear you ask questions and we can have a discussion about things that maybe interest you rather than just things that interest me. So I'm going to hand it over to everyone out there and maybe even whoever's watching online that uh, send a question, share a question. <laughs> If no one else has a question,
1: I do have a question. Uh, It's actually one question I'll frame in three ways. Uh, What what coins be most popular amongst collectors? Uh, What is your favorite type of coin, and what do you specifically
0: collect? Okay, so I think the first question was what coins are most popular right now? And I'm going to fill in some blanks in the, the sentence, and say, you're talking about world coins, the world coin market, not necessarily new issues, just in general. Every table that I went to at the A that sells world coins, as soon as that door opens, there's two things people come by looking for, especially at this A, And that was Mexico and China. Those areas are very hot, very strong. There are some, you know... Even today, this is poundage up here in a sense. I mean, I haven't looked at it, but this bin here is. You can often buy these by the pound, six to ten dollars a pound. I've even seen the price of poundage moving up above ten dollars a pound because there's so much demand in the last two years. But if it's Mexican poundage, it's three dollars a pound wholesale. You can you know, dealers will pay that for Mexican because Mexican's worthless. Except there's a whole lot of Mexican that a lot of people are really excited about. There was another point I didn't make in in talking earlier. Scholarship has become so important. There's so many books now that are coming out that uh, you can privately publish your own book. You can you can do a small print run. You don't have to uh, have a, a you don't have to sell as many of the red as you do of the red book to make it economically viable. We just had a story and I met the folks at the ANA. They uh, created a digital book and are selling hard copies now on how to clean ancient coins. And and that's something you know, you always hear don't clean your coins except really there are some that well yes you can clean and there's some ways to do it right and some ways not to do it. And ancient coin collectors, they've always or generally, as long as I've been paying attention, been keen to share that information because they want people to do it the right way and not damage coins. But that book, I don't know that it it could exist 30 years ago without a broader support that just – it doesn't seem to be there. But these folks, two, two folks wrote it and published it, and they're selling it on Amazon, and they're selling it in Facebook groups. And collectors that are getting it it 's only one hundred pages or something it 's not you know it 's not war and peace it 's not tolstoy but they 're eating it up because it it narrowly covers what they want to know about and there 's a lot of scholarship uh, that that does that and there's there 's even a group meeting next month in october they 've been doing this for more than ten years now the u s mexican numismatic association they 'll meet in Scottsdale and they have researchers and dealers and collectors. And it's it's a sort of family reunion for collectors of Latin American numismatics. Daniel Frank Sedwick, the auction house based out of Winter Park, Florida, over the last 10, 15 years, has created and served a market for Latin American numismatics, shipwreck coins in particular, and shipwreck artifacts. The scholarship that's out there, the ability to reach people is so immense that – and long-winded answer, certainly Mexican coins are very hot. Chinese coins, despite the overall market, uh, people are still looking for some of those things. I will say that there's – depending on the issue, catalog value is way under real value, depending on the catalog too. There are Chinese-based catalogs that are more – that offer more meaningful numbers. The third question was, what do I collect? And being from St. Louis, I like St. Louis-related and Missouri-related tokens and metals. Having lived in Sydney, Ohio for 17 years, I collect Sydney, Ohio tokens and medals. I have some Ohio-based metals and tokens. I even have a Covington, Kentucky token or two. Um, my, what's my favorite coin, though? That's like asking Octomom which is her favorite kid, right?
1: <laughs> four favorites, or favorite style or type of coin?
0: The favorite style or type of coin? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I will say this. Yesterday, I went to my little local shop there in Sydney, Ohio, and I finally buckled down and bought the American Innovation Dollars because I haven't collected them yet. I had sort of, oh, I'll get to that or whatever. and Not that I who pooed the series or didn't give it a thought. It's U.S., so I'm focused in world stuff. And so I decided, because that's a way to celebrate America and some of the things we've done, people have, have done here. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to have fun get it, finding a folder or album and putting those in there and then adding to that. But there's the favorite style. I mean, I love ancient coins, but most of them... I mean, I just don't go that direction because of price. Uh, there's some neat ones with, you know, uh, Julia Domna, uh, Septimus, Septimius Severus, the late Roman. You can get some cheap silver and bronze, 25, 50 bucks. Uh, those are fun. Baseball related objects is another area I collect. So I kind of, you know, I like anything baseball related. Um, but, like, I haven't gone and got the Negro Leagues coins yet. I need to. Uh, there's just so much to collect, and um, love tokens and medals, that's, that's not a coin, but that's, I'm more apt to add to that collection. I bought a die for a um, Masonic token from St. Louis, found it on eBay, you know, how many of these are out there? That's kind of fun, so I, I don't know that that really sufficiently answered the question, but that's kind of, I'm all over the map when it comes to collecting, and Unfortunately, fortunately, I can go to a show and find something I want, but unfortunately, every show I go to, I want more than I can afford. (laughs)
1: Thank you very much. They've really
0: helped me out. I'm very similar, and I just wanted to see the perspective of someone else. Thank you. Yeah, my my pleasure. Anyone else uh, want to? Sure. Mm -hmm. security uh, device in it. How is what they're doing now compared to what other world mints are doing? Um, And I have a second question, uh, completely unrelated, uh, but it is related to world coins. I'm looking for a resource for my son. You mentioned uh, buying dinosaur-related coins for your nephews. My son is looking for dinosaur-related coins uh, for a particular dinosaur, Spinosaurus. And I know that Austrian Mint
1: released a coin, I think it was in 2017 or 2018. So I'm looking for a resource to purchase that as well.
0: Sure. So your your first question was a, uh, about the Spanish Mint and the coins they had. Uh, that was through a distributor. That's Don Kagan, Kagan's Americana, uh, or Kagan's Inc., rather. Um, and they actually, when they first came out with that, they were just going to have, I think. a quarter or tenth ounce gold they've added to that series since then so i got to the show having written a story about the coin a few weeks earlier and and i saw in the advertising before the show they advertised with us they advertised with the a and a oh yeah they added to it uh the the spanish meant the fnmt Fabricio nacional moneda timbre that's their spanish name fnmt has for a few decades now had in their circulating coin before the euro they had a 2000 peseta which is worth about 166 about 10 dollars 12 dollars 15 dollars somewhere in there yeah 15 um it was worth about 15 dollars u.s and they had that high security feature on that high denomination coin security features both over those obvious and plain to see and those covert things that you really have to look for or things that the Mints never want to tell you about have become increasingly important especially as uh more coins are replacing higher uh more higher denomination coins are replacing lower denomination banknotes so in the last few years the Japanese 500 yen has been worth as high as about $4.50. Now it's three fifty. If somebody were to counterfeit that coin, you can make a lot of money if you can keep your costs low. So, and they had that problem a few decades ago, I want to say in the 80s or 90s actually. And so they added some security features, ridges and, and different elements, because... That was a very real concern. The Canadians have added this uh, laser maple leaf thing on their bullion, on their circulating coins. Uh, they have a machine that shops can get that they can place the coin in the machine and the machine will scan it and then they'll tell them, yes, it's good, no, it's not. Uh, and the Canadians have done that now for I don't know, five, seven years or something. If it's been issued by them from that point on, the machine will be able to tell you if it's earlier than that they can't they can't unsmoke that cigarette. they can't go back. But security has, has been a big thing. the I didn't look at that coin in particular that Spain has, but it's it's not something new, it's not something groundbreaking. It's been around for a while, but it's certainly that I know of, but it's certainly important. Um, and and again security devices on all sorts of coins have become increasingly important the reason the UK switched to a a different pound in 2017 was because the official number of fakes in circulation was like 3% and the real number was much higher so uh, technology though is allowing for more creative ways to combat that as well uh, the second question was about where do I find this particular coin. And in this case, you're talking about an Austrian mint product with a dinosaur on it. The, this is a problem with the modern market. There are a few folks in the U.S., if you're in the U.S., as you are, and, and you know, everybody here and presumably everybody watching, if you're in the U.S., there's only a few big companies that carry a lot of new issues from around the world. American Precious Metals Exchange, Atmex being one of them. There's a couple others depending on the product. Especially when it's something that is, there's a lot of demand for and it might sell out quickly, you have to know that it's coming and strike real quick. There's things that we'll get stuff a day ahead of time from the Royal Mint in the UK, and I just don't have time to work it up and I'll work it up the next day and before I write it I go check and see is this still available. And it's only been out for hours. But that's because of this this low mintage model, they're also encouraging people to you know, get on their mailing list. If you want to if you want to know about this all our new things, get on our mailing list. Well, then they've captured your email and they can send you an email every other day saying, "You left this in your cart. You didn't buy this. We'll give you 5% off or, you know, whatever the the Digital marketing tricks are to keep people engaged, add to their their database. A lot of that stuff, especially a coin five years old now, you have to look at eBay or, you know. Unfortunately, as I said earlier, most most dealers at a, at a big show, even though it's a big show, they're not going to handle that stuff. You know, I think about if it's if it's not a. If it's not an official distributor, how is that coin going to enter the market? It's going to come when a collector dies, more than likely, or the collector decides to deaccession his or her material. That's really it. And you have to be awful lucky to wait for that one of the ten people in your state that bought that coin from the Austrian men or Atmex or whatever to... Surrender the coin in a sense and, and the coin shop you go to or the dealer you see at the, the monthly show in Green Hills or whatever to have that when you want it. Well, thankfully, you can go on eBay. You can go on Vcoins. You can go on a number of individual distributor websites, particularly in Europe. There's tons of them in Europe and to a lesser degree, Asia. But on a, on a meteorite coin with 888 mintage, Good luck finding one, maybe. So it, it really is a bit of luck and a lot of searching for specific issues. Yes, Jeff. Follow-up on
1: that, which is pricing. No one wants to be a chunk and pay $2,000 for a
0: coin that could get for $200. Mm-hmm. So you want
1: the Allosaurus or Spinosaurus Rex coin. And you can find out that they were made eight years ago, and the minute was this, where do you find pricing information besides eBay for sales, which is still a very limited market, and if there's only been two of those sold in the last two
0: years, you don't know necessarily. So you want to know about pricing data, and you you mentioned eBay, which is of course the elephant, you know, the giant in the room, the big... Uh, but it's unfortunate especially when you're talking about a new issue the the places for actionable intelligence real solid data just aren't there in any sort of at, at any sort of usable level because a lot of that stuff goes through a hundred different distributors and they sell it to their clients and that was part of this boutique service I really didn't even get into because I was like uh, talk too much uh, but th- we know that when certain coins come out the distributor will call up one of their best customers whoever that is and say you know I got one I think you'll like it's 5 ounces and they only made 99 and it's gold plated or there's this or that it doesn't even enter the market it's almost like a home that sells without even making it to the MLS right I mean it's it's gone before you know about it unless you're in the know and the influx of new issues and the i mean there's dozens of distributors in the u.s that they might get an allocation of a a hot coin their allocation might be two on a mintage of 500 depends on how much they bought with the, the, the issuer you know how good of a relationship they have and somebody knows that hey this is going to be a hot issue and i want a hundred of them they're going to laugh at them because they're going to be like yeah you only did ten thousand dollars of business with with us last year pound sand i mean there's there's real business relationship type networking at work there so you just have to kind of use your best guess i mean heritage is not going to sell a 2017 Austrian dinosaur coin. They're just not. So you gotta look at eBay, you gotta look at any number of the several dozen distributors. Maybe they're based in Canada, maybe they're based in Europe, and their pricing is in Euros or Canadian dollars or whatever, and then you gotta figure out the exchange rate. And and if you pay attention, you see maybe who's advertising or who's set up at a show. Or maybe in like Australia, you can go online, huh? Oh, you can go online and find the list of Australian Numismatic Dealers Association, the ANDA. You can find all the dealers that are in that group. So, wouldn't you want to start there? Because they're a, it's a nationally vetted organization. Start with them in that case. You know, there's a German organization for the dealers in Germany, uh, there's a Canadian organization in Canada. Not every place has it. There is one in South Africa. I don't know of one in Austria. Maybe they're, they piggyback on Germany's because of speaking German. you know. I, but you start with those kind of, okay, who would set up at this show? You can go every year to the World Money Fair website. The show is in Berlin. You don't have to go to the fair to download a copy of the catalog. Well, all of a sudden in the catalog, you have all sorts of advertisements of dealers as well as mints, and you can see dealer names, sometimes <coughs> websites. Many cases, some of them don't even have websites, but there's their phone number. And now, with Skype or with Zoom or whatever, you can call people around the world <coughs> like nothing. When I was a kid, it was still a big deal to call. I mean, how many of us on our cell phones waited till after nine o'clock to make a call because then you know it was the night rate. You know, nobody does that anymore because we don't need to. So I've I've gone in the Sydney office several years ago at 10 o'clock at night and called somebody in Australia for a story because that was I was working with their schedule and voila you know it wasn't like I had to type the letter out and attach it to a carrier pigeon and wait five weeks it was it was instant so there's some things ways to be smart about okay who would be selling this who could have sold this. One thing you can do, I talked about eBay, you talked about eBay, but you're probably only talking about ebay.com. You didn't talk about ebay.de, the German version, or ebay.co.uk, the British version. Sometimes you can find stuff on those sites that are not cross-listed on the main eBay, and there you go. There's your data. In some countries, eBay is not really viable. There's other Platforms, Kijiji or something is out there. I think in Canada or India or something. It doesn't matter. Singapore might have their own version of eBay. Whatever that platform is, you can find it. In many cases, because of technology, you don't have to be locked into this distributorship method and and going up the chain this one way. What you can figure out, probably relatively quickly, though, is. If you can't find it, and you can't find sales results for it, but you can find one for sale, then maybe you need to bite the bullet and get it, because who knows when it's going to sh- show up again. It depends on how bad you want it.
1: Quickly, Jeff, uh, you brought up Chinese, and you talked about counterfeit
0: stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of Chinese counterfeit stuff out there, especially the older Chinese silver dollars. Mm-hmm. Some of the older ones are really easy. You know, they're lighter, they're golden metals, they're real crude. Anymore, there's a lot of stuff that is the right silver weight. If you put it in an XLR machine or whatever, you can figure it out. And it looks right, it weighs right, the diameter's right, and it's very little minute things like maybe it's got a concave uh, field instead of a flat field or whatever the case is. Um, is there some good um, sites out there that really talk about? Because there's so much stuff out there. Uh, do you have a good site to go to? This is.
0: So if, if somebody presented a Chinese coin to me, and this happened at uh, one of my local shops a month or so ago, I look at it and I go, I'm not sure about this. If, if it were my shop, if it were my coin or my money at stake, I'd say, let me go look here. And here's several places. Obviously, you start with a heritage Um, You start with, you you look at the NGC World Coin Price Guide in many cases, not always. They have images, Uh, certainly higher value coins. You will often see image. They've made a real effort over the last five years to add images, but there's still a long way to go. You can go to Vcoins and see if a dealer is selling it. You can go to acsearch.info. That's auction catalog search, and there you can look at things that are for sale now and things that have been for sale, and look and see. Now, some of these platforms, CoinArchives.com, for example, um, AC Search. You need a membership. You need a login, but you don't have to be a member to to access certain information. But some information you do need to. Have a membership. Some of those memberships, like I have a free membership ship at AC Search, and the other day I looked up some rare overdate Tibetan coin, and I could look at five images a day for free. Well, for that purpose, it was okay. A friend of mine said, Hey, I think I've got this one that's rare, it's in the Krause book, and it's you know, I said, Well, here, here's pictures. These sold at auction. One was graded by PCGS. This is what it should look like. Does it look like that? That's a place to start. Coinarchives.com again, a place to start. If, if it comes into my shop, if I had a shop and I wasn't sure, I would buy it on the basis of, you know, I would factor into my buy cost as I'm sending it off for third-party authentication. And maybe, maybe that starts with a lower tier authentication service because it doesn't really matter you know if, if you got it in a quote unquote second tier slab you could always crack it out once you know it's good and sell it as good or once you know it's good or have a good feeling about it you can submit to a different grading service and and you just have to factor in that well I don't want to get take a haircut on this so I'm I'm going to Buy it back of what I might otherwise it, on, you know, build that risk assessment into your, your purchase price. But, you know, a, a lot of experts, once you know them, they're more than happy to share their information and knowledge with, with you. Uh, there are very active groups in social media and in other online platforms where you could post a picture. And this thing in my pocket right here. It can take pretty good pictures and I'm no tech, no guy. I mean, you know, I always joke, my smartphone has a dumb user and that's kind of true, but it can take decent enough pictures to t- of a coin and I can text it to somebody and say, do you think this looks real? That I know already because I've seen him at shows and, you know, we've cooperated on a story say or, or whatever. And, you know, th- there are enough things like that, that Again, when you pay attention, you see some of these things. When you're walking around the Bourse floor, there are several folks that specialize in Asian numismatics. They're, they're not hiding who they are. I mean, they got big signs buying Asian coins. Maybe you start with one of those folks. You know, I mean, it, and, and that's – I will not sound glib or whatever, but some people just – they wouldn't even connect the dots – Because it is overwhelming. You got this thing, where do I go? It's like, well, thankfully, if I want tokens and medals, I might go to Paul Cunningham or John Kralovich or Dick Reynolds or whoever. I know them because I've seen them set up at dozens of shows, and maybe I bought from them, and I know that's their specialty. So start with a specialist who's really deep in it, and then go from there. Have I... uh monologued, filibustered too long. (laughs) Uh,
1: With the uh, changeover from Queen Elizabeth to Prince Charles, they're going to be replacing (laughs)
0: all of the uh, money of the UK and commonwealth countries. And they're talking about a two-year timeframe. Now, are they they talking two years to uh, just get the Charles money manufactured, or are they talking about actually withdrawing all the Elizabeth coins so, in that period? You're, you're very timely, uh, Elizabeth and Charles the You know Elizabeth II. What's going to happen with her coins and his coins? The reality is, of course, the Roman isn't saying anything. They're they're honoring this period of mourning. So we have to look at tradition as a guide, uh, and so it seems to make sense that they're going to continue the tradition of rotating the, the way the monarch faces on this coin because that's other than an exception in the 1930s, it's really been mostly done that way for centuries. Why would they deviate from that? You know, They're, they're very big on pomp and circumstance and tradition and doing it this way and, and all that. So I don't expect that to, to be different. As we talked about earlier, they can move much more quickly to come up with designs. Uh, she was 96. Maybe they have something in the holding tank and they're just waiting for it. One would think. One would think. Uh, you know, but it is a sensitive topic because the monarchy is what it is in the UK. And could they have approached designers to say we want a design contest? For this king, eventual king, but if you had a design contest figuring, okay, man, you know, she's 80 now, let's get a design made. Well, his new design is 16 years old now if they've had that sitting in queue. I don't know what they're doing as far as do they have something on hold. Uh, If it were me running the show, I would go, okay, well, it probably makes sense every five years to have one, because you can always issue one for a couple of years and come up with an updated design a few years down the road, right? That way you're ready for the big release. But what happened when they went to decimalization in the 60s? They built a whole new mint in Wales to accommodate the production of a massive amount of coins. That was a major change when they went from two different monetary systems, pounds, shilling, pence, to one pound being 100 pence instead of 240 that took several years you don't need that now there were folks i saw again i'm in some collector groups online uh for collectors mostly who are based in great britain the uk and they're talking about oh i remember when you know queen elizabeth's coins came out 70 years ago i'm like okay you must have been five but you know <laughs> or whatever but, but or they remember when before decimalization which okay 1960s was not as long ago but older monarchs money was still in circulation i don't expect that to change there is too much money with the queen's face on it to pull it all it's not going to happen they can't make new coins to replace it fast enough there is not enough despite covid despite the digital everything this and that there's not enough people there are not enough people there has not been enough shift in the uk toward cashless payments to accommodate that there's no way they could make the amount of coins necessary even in a year's time to say all of a sudden any coin with queen elizabeth on it is not Spendable. It's not going to happen. They're still accepting 1982 to 2017 round pounds if you have a bank account. Wonder- yes, they have the queen on it, but it's an old style money. Things are slow, gradual. They huge to tradition. I don't expect that to change. I wonder if
1: the whoever speculating over two years, maybe two things. One.
0: Are they including paper money, which I would expect to take longer? And also, you know, we're talking about a number of different countries and different denominations, so maybe some of the other countries in the Commonwealth, it might
1: take longer for them to answer their issues.
0: Sure. But but, some place like Australia, where they still – they use the Jody Clark effigy, which is the one in use in the U.K. for the last five whatever years – uh, you know 50, 100 years ago they might have had I mean they're, they're, they had to wait for the dyes to be sent from England. Now they don't have to do that. So I think it's going to be quicker than in the past because of some of the technological things that exist now. But a place like Fiji, several years ago they kicked the queen off. They went to a coat of arms. So they don't have to you know, that's one less country. It'll, it'll take a while but British Virgin Islands, Pobjoy does a lot of their stuff. They're going to have a I'm sure. I say that with, you know, 99% certainty. I would fully expect in this next 6 months they have King Charles III coin designs. That's all collector anyway, but from a circulation standpoint, there's a couple dozen countries. It's going to take time, but it's going to be quicker than in the past.
1: Well, the other thing I was thinking about last- Reality is Charles III is what seventy-five, I think, or
0: seventy-three. Okay. Yeah.
1: You know, I would be surprised if he abdicated the throne within the next ten years, maybe, if he survives that long. You know, and then it would go to William or whatever cases. So it could be very well that by the time they get all the stuff with Charles III on it, he's already hey William or
0: something.
1: That's right.
0: what happened with Edward VIII, right. and and there are coins of some places like New Guinea and Fiji I think that have his name on there 1936 but those are about it because he was gone too quick now you know we live in a fast moving world you know it's not going to take a year for them to come up with the design is it going to take a while sure because they're going to go through the advisory committee that we talked about they're you know they're going to do these certain things but technologically they can move pretty fast they're also not dumb, and they're gonna, pardon the term, milk this for all it's worth. They're gonna have, I'm sure, they're gonna have special collector sets with last and first, and you know maybe I could see, you know, designs that could have been or you know that weren't accepted for circulation, and you can do collector versions. There's any number of ways they can approach this. Old silver, platinum. Yes, and the then in multiple water, metals. They'll, lost they'll, it, they'll, it. They'll, They'll they'll do an aluminum, a zirconium. No. no, but they'll have the base metal, the copper nickel, brilliant uncirculated, and collector pack, five pound denomination. They'll sell it for twenty bucks U.S. Whatever. Then they'll have a silver version. Then they'll they'll have a PA four silver version, which is double thick. Then they'll have a gold. Then the, you know, sure. But there again, if I just want a memento of the Queen's long and historic reign, maybe the five pound base metal is good enough. Here's an idea, we should have a club contest. Who can who predict how many new coins with Charles III Canada will come up with in 2023 alone? In other words, you know, like, how many how many jelly beans are in the
1: jar, right? So whoever gets closest to the number <laughs> that they do next year wins I don't know what,
0: something. Yes. Oh. What's that?
1: I said, I'll my five squares on that grid. (laughs) What did he say? My five squares on that grid.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Chuck has a question here Uh, uh, in the room.
1: I, I just want to talk about my pet peeve, which is slabs. They're putting foreign and ancient coins in slabs and they're grading them according to U.S. commercial standards. Sure. Which does not necessarily jive with the standards of the collectors. Just as an example, a coin, a Canadian coin, a U.S. slab would grade MS 62 or 63. That same coin in a Canadian slab would grade MS 60. Uh, Ancients to me appears to be kind of the same way. It seems like you know they could
0: be setting people up for some mighty expensive mistakes um anyway your comments maybe well uh, you know slabbing has uh, is a I, don't, I won't say is a uniquely american thing because the grading services have exported it to asia they have offices in london they have in europe uh, it it doesn't have the stranglehold on the market in some of these other places particularly london and europe uh, it's it's gotten very big there, compared to what it was 10 years ago. Uh, you you do have a lot of grading services in Europe and Asia though that do sell. I'm sorry, the, the auction houses that do sell. I mean, every once in a while you'll see a, a firm that they just do a all slab auction. Some people want that. Now you know when you get into grading variety and you know grading um, differences. You know, the English system is different from ours. There's a, you know, a a very fine here is not really a good coin. And there, you would, oh, that looks nice. I want to buy that. So there are some nuances like that. I think there's enough information out there that if somebody wants to become educated, and if if they're pursuing coins, they have an interest in this. You don't go buy a car without looking up Kelly Blue Book. Why are you buying a $10,000 coin without doing a little research? I mean, I don't want to put the onus on them. It's not, you know, that's not the only issue. But sometimes, and and I can tell you, I've made the mistake on a $5 purchase. Greed got the better of me. I thought, oh, yeah, I got this thing, and it's a $30 coin. And No, you idiot, it's fake. Well, you know, maybe (laughs) you have a lesson like that. You remember it, and you're a little more cautious next time. You're a little more sy- systematic about, with your approach of, d- is this make sense? Is this right? Am I, you know. So I sympathize with you. I think at the end of the day, there's enough information out there that if people want to be armed with information, they can and should be. I don't like it when a company takes a $50 coin and sells it for 150 I think that's wrong. I don't know where you... Draw the line, but at the end of the day, there's so much information out there. All you got to do is poke around and spend a little bit of time. I'm hoping that places like Coin world and the CoinRoad podcast and CoinWeek, our competitor, and you know, name, name a platform, the ANA, uh, any number of the central states. These organizations are putting enough information out there and are reaching out to people in a welcoming and open way and say, come in, check it out, and, you know, arm yourself with knowledge because once you have that, you can have a lot of fun. And, oh, yeah, maybe you can make a little money too. I hope that's satisfactory, but, you know, it's it's – you're gonna get as many opinions about that as you do about grading itself. How many collectors of ancient coins, if they happen to buy it because it's in a, you know, it's in a slab, they bust that sucker out. They don't want it entombed in plastic. Right <laughs> here. Yeah. And, 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 and that's okay. Everybody gets to do whatever they want. You know, You understand the ramifications of your choice. You know, that, yeah, I'm going to send it in for grading because I want it to be more fungible, more sellable. Or, no, I want to keep it out because I want to touch that thing and use this as a portal to the past. This is my ticket to 2,000 years ago. You get to do it however you want. Speaking of information, I have a question for you, Jeff. Yeah. There. Uh, hopefully, this doesn't put you too much on the spot, but maybe you can take information back to the point. If, if, if they're taking input. Doing research, I find a lot of stuff in the, numis, the numismatic portal uh-huh.
1: that points back to coin world. But coin world is copyrighted and how do I get back issues other than the friendly guy on eBay selling them for 25 bucks an issue? Uh, are, are you guys going to plan on partnering with NMP or digitizing stuff or making stuff available for research?
0: Uh, that is an astute observation because several years ago uh, the Amos family and the company did partner with the portal to, for the portal to scan and digitize all the back issues. Uh, but the company has not determined a viable path to make that available uh, in a broad way. I will say if you're a subscriber – now, today, or going forward, in the, you know, go get a subscription if you don't have one, gratuitous plug. But once you have a subscription, you have digital access, and we do have back issues back to, I want to say, sometime in 2013, which is – that's coming up on, you know, nine ten years of, of back issues. Now, no, the 1988 issue with whatever story is not out there um, – I believe the ANA library has a set, the ANS library has a set. You may be able to access that as a if you're a member of either of those organizations and pay for the photocopying. Um if it's you know, if it's not a oh, I want a hundred, you know, this page and that page and this and that, I do, I I can look at some things. I don't see everything, and you know, sometimes it's I'll do that for people. If they just ask nicely and they want to see a page from an issue, I can take a photo of it from our set and send it to them. But, you know, we really don't do that for a, a broad array because that would be problematic. I'm, I'm there to write new stuff, not send people photographs of stuff we, we ran 50 years ago. Ideally, that would become available in a, in a digital subscription format. There's There have been many discussions about the ways that that could be presented. They haven't involved me, and I don't know where they stand, but I certainly am glad to know that somebody out there noticed that and wants access to it, and hopefully, if and when we make that available, would be willing to uh, contribute to that project's economic viability. All right, thank you, because I didn't realize that uh, with a subscription,
1: you can go back to the 20-teens or something like that. I didn't know about ANA, but I also feel bad about calling up and saying, hey, can you find this article? I think it's on page 30 to 50, somewhere in there. You know, it might across multiple pages to be continued, you know, so
0: much. Sure, sure. And I've just never gone that angle yet. What, one of the things, and, and I don't, you know, I can't speak for the company now in the sense of, you know, I'm, I'm just a cog in the machine, but researchers came to our old facility And did research in our library when we had a librarian and we, you know, I don't know that we're set up to do that now. But there was certainly a time when we wanted people to come use us as a resource. But, you know, we had systems in place to, you know, guardrails to make sure that books weren't being walked out and, you know, the back issues weren't being torn apart and all that. We don't have that now, but digitally, if that were in place, that would be available I just don't know the timeline yet. And, and it's something I've wanted for years, and I'm not the only one, but I'm not the only one involved in, you know, I'm just one of many that, that can share a voice pushing toward that direction. Unfortunately, as loud as I am, there are louder voices, so to speak. I,
1: I appreciate it. No, I, I understand that fault,
0: but if you can at least let them know the people, at least one people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We'll do. We'll do. And Jeff has another question in the room here.
1: Coin World Almanac, best book ever. May it rest in peace. Rest
0: in peace? Are you trying to bury it? I mean, the old paper versions, are they still... Well, we still have that. I mean, it, the 8th edition was published in 2010. It still exists. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell too, talk too loud about it. We'll have to update it. Yeah, I, that was a pain in the butt. I, I understand. I was
1: thinking of a digital version of that that might collect from the columns, for example, that you write and having it be available in one place.
0: There are opportunities for all sorts of special interest publications like the Coin World Annual that we just did. Uh, I've been an advocate for a couple different ideas. I don't want to, in case we get to do them, I don't want to tip our hand. But, you know, there's certainly, as there's economic support for the day-to-day, and then we can expand into the special project type stuff, you know, we're certainly looking at ways to do that because, yes, we want to serve readers, but we're also looking for We've got all this content. Why can't we present it in a way that reaches people? And, you know, there's advertising there that helps us continue doing what we do uh, day in and day out. So I'm glad at least somebody likes the Almanac because I remember that many evenings putting, doing my part of that. And, boy, it was something else. <laughs> Any other questions?
1: Uh, one more. Yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned Numista. Uh uh-huh. And I found, like, when I do to research and try to pull cool images of world coins, like, it's a really good resource because it'll have things that the NGC World uh, mm-hmm. Price Coin doesn't have. Is there anything any better than Numista, or what were your thoughts? I really like.
0: Uh, Numista is, I think, the gold standard, as as you Thank note. You um, I'm friends with a guy who owns and runs worldcoingallery.com. Don is a great guy, and the website is very helpful, but it looks like it was built in 1999, because it was, sort of, you know, around that. Um, That may be undergoing a, a redesign soon, I've heard, but I don't know, you know, I don't know how true that is. He's kicking some ideas around. But even if he redesigns it, I think Numista is going to have more information. Uh, Don's website links to the NGC price guide. When I'm looking at my new acquisitions and trying to figure out what I think uh, a good market value is of my collection at any one time, I use WorldCoin Gallery, NGC, Numista, eBay. EU online coin or something like that onlinecoin.net or eucoin.net there's something like that if you google a specific you know 1981 Haiti 10 centimes you might get you know you google any specific coin like that you're often on the first page of results we'll find a link to this website and and then I just kind of use this these years of accumulated experience of I know this you know I'm sorry any any crown-sized copper nickel world coin thematically, other than a handful of very common coins like the Churchill crown and the 1977 Silver Jubilee 25 pence and some of these others, a, a, a crown-sized copper nickel coin and uncirculated, it should be $5. I don't care what the catalog says. If it says two fifty dollars or $4, it starts at $5 in my book. I, I mean, that's just because it's a big coin. Big coins sell easier than smaller coins, you with notwithstanding. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, how many people like the Morgan dollar versus the Roosevelt dime? Morgan dollar's big. It's big and pretty. Big and pretty sells better than small and ugly, or small, or ugly. I'll just interject a comment. <laughs> One of my coins that is 2.5 grams, a sixth of a stator, if that same coin
1: were a stater. Uh, it would probably sell the coin is six times bigger, it probably would sell for six times as much, even for the same design, degree of beauty, yep. condition,
0: and earth. There you go, you've proved my point. Because people the bigger is better. I mean, you know, and and that's I mean, I love miners, coins that are not these crown sized coins we call them miners. But minor coins are major fun, haha. But it, I mean it's true. You can you can you can have fun? Regardless of what path you go, I like coins, I didn't say this earlier, world coins struck at the U.S. Mint, particularly those struck during wartime, U.S. uh, World War II. Australia, Netherlands, Netherlands, Antilles, that kind of stuff, Philippines. So I have a box just of those because I like them. And they're all smaller, but it's fun. I have fun with it. You know, the MacArthur peso and 50 centavos. Those are bigger, the peso sure, but hey, here's an American on a world coin and it was struck at the US and it's silver and it's, and there's so many touch points to that and then you weave in I shall return and you know Manila Bay, all the treasure being dumped in the, I mean, how can you not get excited about that? At, at dinner we said stories sell coins and it's true and that's a story around a coin and that's what we get excited about whether it's these you know, whatever area you're you're into.